Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. You know, on December the 17th, 1903, Wilbur and Orville Wright made their first flight in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They embarked on a 12-second flight after their fifth attempt. So Orville immediately ran to the local telegraph office, and he contacted his sister Karen to tell her that they had flown for 12 seconds and that they would be home for Christmas. And so Karen immediately went to the local newspaper and told them that her brothers had flown a contraption for 12 seconds, that they would be home for Christmas, so if you wanted to interview them or talk to them, they would be here. And the reporter assured Karen that they would love to talk to the brothers. And on December the 19th, the headline in the local newspaper read, Wright Brothers will be home for Christmas. <laughs> talk about missing the headline, right? And it happens all the time. And all the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, and all the gift-giving and all of our arguing over when Jesus was really born, we miss the headline. And the headline is not, Santa Claus is coming to town. The headline is not, peace on earth, good, goodwill towards men. The headline is not, the headline is not, Jesus is the reason for the season. No, the headline is this, in big, bold letters, Emmanuel, God with us. Paul stated it like this. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things come together. Now, that's the story that deserves our utmost attention. The fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the headline. Jesus is not the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for every single thing, for all of it. And we should remember that, not just one day in December, but every day of the year. Jesus' birth is the event to which everything up to it, or before it led to, I should say it like this. Jesus' birth is the event up to which everything before it led and to which everything after it points. Is part of the incarnation. The fact that Jesus came into this world, the humblest of beginnings and dwelt among us shows that God is not some faceless, distant creator that created us and just let us fend for ourselves. He didn't make us and then say, well, I hope, I hope you get to heaven. He didn't leave us on our own. He took up residence with us. And John even begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. This is John's birth account. Matthew had one. Luke had one. John has one as well. But his birth account does not take Jesus back to a manger in Bethlehem. His birth account takes Jesus all the way back to the beginning. At the creation of the world. He was there. God was there. The Holy Spirit was there. Jesus is God's form of communication. What does it mean that he is the word? Well, God's communicating something through, through Jesus. In the past, he spoke through a burning bush, through a disembodied hand, even a donkey. But now it's through Jesus. Jesus comes bringing a new word 
the only begotten son has come into this world to bring a message. And what's the message? Well, very simple. It's an announcement. Jesus coming into this world was a birth announcement. And the announcement was this. I'm here. The anointed one is here. The Messiah has come and he's brought the kingdom with him. Skip down to verse 10 of John chapter 1. You read these words. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word walked around. It came to this earth with feet and legs, and it walked around, it dwelt among us, and yet he was even unrecognizable to some. He was incomprehensible to some. The very people he came to reveal himself to were the very people who hung him on a cross, who rejected him and put him to death. In other words, many folks missed the headline. Well, my job as a preacher is to try to hit every spiritual level every week. I'm preaching to a group of people that every week I'm trying to hit those who are babes in Christ, those who are mature Christians, and so... This morning, I'm going to earn some points with the young ones. See if y'all recognize these words. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. Some of you recognize those words from Dr. Seuss's classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't read or, or have seen the movie. The Grinch doesn't actually steal Christmas. He steals all the things associated with Christmas, the lights, the decorations, the food, the presents, and then he goes up to his lair that overlooks the city, and all you can see is snow and empty hooks, darkness. But the next morning, to his surprise, the people of Whoville still gather in the streets, they sing carols, they still celebrate Christmas, because after all, it wasn't about those things that he stole anyway. It wasn't about the presents or the food or the decorations and all those things. And so the Grinch looks down on Whoville rather confused. Because while he thought he stole Christmas, he actually didn't take it away from their hearts. He simply missed it. But the Grinch hasn't been the only one through history to miss Christmas. It still happens every year in this world, in the United States, in Texas, in Abilene, in our homes, in our churches even. We miss the headline. Now, there are a lot of Grinches in society. People who are offended by trees and, and, and decorations and, and saying Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. That sends them into orbit and they would love nothing more than to take the Christ out of Christmas. And then there's us. Quite frankly, we don't really know where we stand sometimes. What I want to say next, I've got it right here exactly the way I'm going to say it. I'm not going to get away from my notes. I'm going to say it exactly the way I've written it because I poured over this. So listen to me here. For years, we've combated the idea that December 25th was not the actual day of Christ's birth. We have reacted and perhaps overreacted to the religious world and the world as a whole by avoiding any semblance of Christmas within the church, 
But when the world started stealing Christmas, we began kind of singing a different tune. We didn't like the fact that Christ was being taken out of Christmas. So we engaged in a different fight, the fight to keep Jesus as the reason for the season. I mean, after all, it may not have been his literal day of birth, but we can't let some overly sensitive people steal that from us, right? So we began fighting two different battles against two different opponents. One hill that we're ready to die on was the hill of truth. It's the war against those who sing happy birthday Jesus. But then on the other hill was a battle against the PC crowd, those who who didn't want us to say Merry Christmas and wanted to take Christ out of the holiday altogether. And it's hard to fight two different battles at the same time. Ultimately, in all our fighting, I think we missed what really matters. Christmas and the celebration thereof has always been kind of an elephant in the church. We don't really know what to do with it. We celebrate it in our homes, but a lot of times we avoid it at all costs in the church, even the mention of it. We don't actually believe that Jesus was born on December the 25th, so therefore we must ignore it altogether. That's kind of the approach that we've taken, lest someone gets the impression that we really do believe that he was born on December 25th. Some of you may have grown up in a church where Christmas was a Jesus-free holiday. You could show people that you're not like the rest of the religious world by not celebrating that day, or at least not in the church, mentioning Christ at Christmas. But isn't it sad that in our efforts to show people that we're not like the religious world or the secular world, that in all of our dismissing, we actually dismiss our Lord? In all of our efforts to avoid the appearance of celebrating Christmas, we often fail to celebrate Jesus. My friends, instead of arguing over whether he was actually born on December 25th, we need to be rejoicing that people are even thinking about Jesus at all. I don't agree with talking about Jesus every day of the year except the one that's closest to Christmas. My view of the holidays in relation to the church is that I think we as Christians should redeem these days. We should redeem them. I think we should take full advantage of the opportunity to talk about Jesus at Christmas time. I mean, our world is consumed with trees and presents and with Santa and flying reindeer. When the whole world is at least giving some attention to Jesus, I want to help them to understand more about Jesus. I'm not going to spend my time arguing over whether he was actually born on December the 25th because it's never wrong to talk about Jesus' birth. It's never wrong to talk about Jesus' birth. It is wrong, I believe, to avoid it. It's always wrong to avoid talking about Jesus. Rather than avoiding Christmas because we're afraid of being too secular or too denominational, let's redeem it. Let's remind others what Christmas is really all about. In all our fervor to denounce December 25th as the actual day of Christ's birth, let's not be a Grinch. Let's not miss Jesus. And certainly, let's not miss the headline. If you have your Bibles, you can look at Luke chapter 2. And beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Missing the headline and taking Christ out of Christmas, nothing new. It's been happening since Jesus came into this world. It was happening the day that Jesus was about to be born, and the first person to miss Jesus was the innkeeper. Now, we can't give him too much grief because there were a lot of people in the area. They were coming for the census. And so they were staying in his inn, and, and, and it, was, it was full. He had a lot on his plate, a lot on his mind. He had to be stressed. I mean, it, there was a lot of hustle and bustle in the city. If he had known that Mary was about to give birth to the Savior of the world, I'm sure he would have found a room for. But he didn't know that. And so we got to give him a little bit of grace here. But the fact remains that with all the plates he had splinting, with all the stress and all the being overcome with all the people descending on his end, he missed Jesus. Just like many of us do today. Each year at Christmas time, there's a province in Peru that celebrates in a rather unusual way. They come together and they sing and they dance and they eat and they wear multicolored costumes. And then the entire celebration culminates in fistfights. It's exactly right. They come together from very young to very old and they duke it out. The idea is that they want to air their grievances. They want to take care of all the friction and all the conflict that has happened throughout the years. So they get together and they, they settle it. They duke it out. And they believe that once they've done that, it promotes peace. It strengthens their community bond. I mean, that's, that's one way to celebrate Christmas, I guess. I'm not sure that we're a whole lot different when we trample people on Black Friday. You hear about the lady that was wanting an Xbox so bad that a few years ago, uh, the whole mob of people that were trying to get to the Xbox, she turned and she sprayed them all with pepper spray. Or maybe the lady a few years ago that shot somebody else over an argument or a dispute about a gift that they were trying to get at Walmart. We see it in our world all the time. We can act very unchristlike over a holiday that's supposed to include Christmas. May we never miss Christ because we're too focused on the things that surround Christmas. There is another obvious biblical character who missed Jesus, and he is the original Grinch. He goes by the name Herod. And you look with me at Matthew chapter 2, it reads, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So the wise men ask, where's the king? And Herod's like, what do you mean? I'm the king. I'm right here. I'm right in front of you. Obviously, Herod is troubled that there might be another king trying to take his throne. In Herod's mind, there wasn't room for two kings on the same throne. He didn't mind Jesus being in the vicinity just as long as he wasn't sitting on the throne and ruling. He didn't mind Jesus being in the manger as long as he stayed there. And it reminds me of a story back in 1999, maybe you saw this story, that at Daly Plaza in Chicago, they have this huge nativity scene. The problem is baby Jesus kept getting stolen from the nativity scene. And so... This one year, 1999, baby Jesus was stolen and some authorities tracked down the perpetrator and he was fined and they got 
baby Jesus back, set him back in the manger, and they, they took a, a large cable and padlocked it to make sure that Jesus didn't leave the manger again. But two years later, the extra security measures didn't work. A 19-year-old college student was able to slip baby Jesus from under the cable and run off with him. And after a couple of months, he was tracked down. He was charged with a misdemeanor. Baby Jesus was returned to the manger in the nativity scene. And extra security was put in place. They hired a team of people that they called the God Squad. No, no joke. A team of people they called the God Squad was, was hired to watch baby Jesus. And their only goal, they said, was to make sure that Jesus never left the manger. And that was Herod's goal. Herod's goal was that Jesus never leave the manger. He was fine with Jesus being in the vicinity. He couldn't be on the throne. And when Herod discovered that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became so enraged that he ordered all male babies, two years old and under, to be slaughtered in the vicinity of Bethlehem. I have yet to see a Christmas card that depicts that state-sponsored act of terror. The Christmas cards I receive and the ones you do as well usually show a scene of a snowy meadow and animals frolicking, maybe reindeer flying through the air and Santa waving, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. But when I watch what takes place right here in, in Matthew and his gospel, when I read these words, when I see everything that's happening here, I see anything but adjectives like goodwill and peace and tranquility. No, when I read of this account, what I see is a ruthless king, scared parents, and dead babies. Herod missed Jesus because of his pride and power. And while I would never suggest that any of us are Herod, I will say that it's far too easy for folks to allow Jesus to be in the vicinity, but forbid him to sit on the throne. May we never miss the headline. May we never bury the headline. Jesus coming to this earth meant that the unapproachable God would be approachable. In Old Testament times, fear seemed to be the motivating factor. You know, you, you didn't touch the Ark of the Covenant, you'd be struck dead. You didn't touch the side of the mountain, you'd be struck dead. You didn't enter the most holy of holies because you might not come out alive. You had to follow protocol, lest you be killed. However, Jesus coming to earth in the form of a newborn baby now meant that the unapproachable God was suddenly approachable. The visit to this earth for Jesus took place in an animal shelter with no attendants present, nowhere to lay a newborn baby except in a feed trough. The event that divided history and even our calendars into two parts may have had more animal witnesses than human witnesses. He was born into the world with terror and strife. He, he doesn't come with peals of, of thunder and bolts of lightning. No, he enters into our world as a baby in a manger. What can be less scary than a swaddled infant? But this was all a part of God's indescribable gift. God found a way of relating to human beings that didn't involve fear. But this indescribable gift is only available to those who make him king and give up the throne. It's not enough for Jesus to be in the vicinity. He's got to sit on the throne. He must rule and reign. And a final group that missed Jesus when he first arrived on the scene was not, not just Herod, not just the innkeeper, but also the religious folks. Now, how could the religious folks miss the Messiah? How could the people who knew the Bible like the back of their hand 
miss Jesus. I mean, these are the people who are the most studied and most knowledgeable in God's word, and they miss Jesus. Go back to Matthew 2. It reads, In gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired, inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Notice that Herod refers to Jesus as Messiah. He had enough knowledge to know what this was about. He had enough knowledge of the scriptures to know that Jesus was the anointed one. He knew the Bible enough to know that. He gathered the religious leaders together because he knew what they knew. They were well acquainted with scripture. They knew all that the law and the prophets had spoken of concerning this subject and any religious topic. They even quote Micah chapter 5 verse 2, which by the way was written 700 years prior to Jesus being born. But although they knew the scriptures, and although they knew the location of where the Messiah would be born, they didn't make the trip. It didn't matter enough to them to go to Jesus. It didn't matter how much they knew if they weren't willing to go. And there's a lesson in there for us. Who cares how much you know about the Savior if you're not willing to go to the Savior? If the written word never becomes the living word, then it's just another word. All this talk about Jesus being born and how he's the reason for the season and peace on earth, goodwill toward men, all this Emmanuel talk and the child is born, none of it means anything if you don't make the journey. There is an 18-inch journey that every single one of us have to make. It's from the head to the heart. Head knowledge has to travel that 18 inches to the heart so that it's heart knowledge and so that you do something with it. It's not just about information. It's about transformation. And you don't ever get transformation unless you do something with the head knowledge. It's not how much you know. It's what you do with what you know. The purpose of the written word is to lead you to the living word. Jesus would eventually grow up and call out the religious folks for their lack of living by the word. And in the gospel of John, he even says these words, you examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. And yet, you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You got to make the trip. You got to go from head to heart. You got to go from knowing to abiding. Bethlehem wasn't that far from Jerusalem. You could walk it. It wasn't that far. But the Bible-toting, Bible-quoting folks didn't make the short trip because they didn't realize that they needed to. Didn't realize that they needed the Messiah. He was a threat, not a treatment. On the other hand, you have the wise men. And what did they do? Well, look at it. Luke 2, 15. Let's go straight to Bethlehem. Then and let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Nothing was going to stop them. Nothing was going to stop them from going to Jesus. Once they arrived at Bethlehem, what do they do? They bow down and they worship. They may not have been as knowledgeable in the scriptures, but they knew. They knew what the angel had said. They saw the star. They had faith that this was no ordinary child. This child was special, and therefore going to him was all that mattered. Back in the 30s, there was a, a town on the East Coast that was struggling financially. And so the whole townspeople got together to have a town hall meeting to discuss what they could do to get out of sp uh, financial trouble. And there was a visitor that night who came to the meeting, and he asked a bunch of questions. But everybody ignored him. He was a visitor. They didn't know him. 
He made a few suggestions, good suggestions, but nobody listened to him. They just dismissed him because they didn't know who he was. So finally, the visitor just walks out. And as he's walking out, a city council member who was late to the meeting starts walking in. And he walks in, and the city council member starts asking, what was he doing here? Did he volunteer to help? And the people said, who are you talking about? He said, the guy that just left, that was John D. Rockefeller. Well, they didn't know who John D. Rockefeller was, but they knew that name. They knew enough to know that that guy was a multi-billionaire who was known for philanthropy and helping people out. He was in their midst, and they missed him. How unfortunate, right? They forfeited a golden opportunity because they didn't know who was there among them. Sitting among them was a man ready to be their savior. And they missed him. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's not be like the innkeeper. Let's make room. Let's not be like Herod, allowing Jesus to be in the vicinity but not on the throne. And let's not be like the religious leaders, unwilling to make the trip. Let's do everything we can this Christmas not to miss Jesus. Where are you at this morning? Are you missing Jesus? Are you burying the headline? Hopefully not. But if we can help you, we certainly want to do that. Let's not forget the reason why we're here, the catalyst for everything we do and everything that we are. Our identity is all wrapped up, it's all tied up, it's all tangled up in Jesus. Should be. If that doesn't describe you and you want to get on the right track, let us help you. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Let's do that. There's no excuse to leave here today without being right with God. Luke's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing? Mm -hmm.